Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. All right, if you could open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, to Luke chapter 10. When you're there, give an amen in Luke chapter 10. Hallelujah. We, we could just rhyme. Hug a friend in Luke 10. Give an amen. We could come up with different words that rhyme. Amen. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, um, start off where we ended um, last week, and, um, and I believe God's going to speak to us. I, I don't think it's going to end um, just necessarily today i believe it's going to continue to flow maybe in weeks to come but there's so much to say and i want to just kind of um get into maybe um just a foundational stuff today a groundwork of things as maybe we just um dig a little bit deeper um in the in the moments to come so i'm going to share a message that eventually will wrap into this thought and it's titled loving neighbor loving neighbor have you ever had a neighbor that's been hard to love (laughs) The ones that are saying yes are honest. <laughs> you've, ever, you've ever had a neighbor that's just tested you? Um, I know the Zenos have. And um, Tito actually has a, maybe in one of our service. you know what, Tito, I feel that like maybe in one of our preachings of loving neighbor, you could share that testimony of what happened in the court. No, like legal, like seriously, like he went to court this week, and, um, but God is glorified. We're talking about loving neighbor. <coughs> But we, we've all had that. We've been privileged to move into a house three years ago, and, and, and thank God we've had two beautiful, loving neighbors next to us. Um, but we know what it can be like to be in bed at 2 in the morning, and um, there's a car parked right in front of your house, and it's like domestic violence, and they're screaming, and they're, you're from their neighbors, and you're just like, are you kidding me? Do I go down and call the cops? Do I go down and, and do we just start beating on them? Like, what do we do here? Like, it's frustrating. But I'm sure we've all had moments where we've had to um, struggle with our neighbor. Maybe it's not your neighbor in the neighborhood, but maybe it's the neighborhood of work. Maybe it's the neighborhood of family. Maybe it's the neighborhood of church. You know, sometimes it's easy to love our neighbor and the hardest neighbor to love, and it's so sad because it's the greatest place we're to love them, is to love our neighbor within here. And um, we're called to love our neighbors. We're called to be loving neighbors. Amen? Amen. I'm excited for this. It's a lot of just um, teaching in the context of the scripture, and we'll go and we'll see where we go f- from this Sunday on. Um, in Luke chapter 10, as we go into this theme, we've heard this story. Maybe you've read this story. You've studied this story. You sat in a place where they've preached this story, and it is the story that we know of as the story of the Good Samaritan. By show of hands, how many of you have, are, 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 have knowledge of this, of this story, the story of the Good Samaritan? Many of you, all right, many of you do, which is good. Why is that good? Because I am going to emphasize something that your mind is already aware of. So it's good. It's, it's, it's just digging into that ground a little bit more. It's not a new revelation, per se, or anything like that. Or, or it's just, let's get into the scripture and see what, what God wants to remind us of. And, and I want to jump into this Good Samaritan. I'm going to read, just so, if there is someone here that didn't raise their hand, I'm not exactly sure of it. I want to fill you in with this. It's in verse 30, 
through verse 37. And there's a reason why I want to start first in verse 30. It says this in verse 30. It says, Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, and they wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Everyone say other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked. And he passed by on the other side. Everyone say other side. Verse 33, there's a but. The Lord's going to make a point. He's transitioning here. This is a transitional place of the story. There's a priest, there's a Levite. They saw this man beaten. He was wounded. He was left for dead. They saw him and they walked to the other side. Everyone says, why? Oh my goodness, why? Ow, that's not nice, that's not good. And in verse 33, Jesus says, but, transition, let me tell you what happens here. There was a certain Samaritan, priest, Levite, and now there is a certain Samaritan. And as he journeyed, he came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. A Samaritan had compassion. A priest passed by. A Levite passed by. They came. They saw. They went to the other side. But when the Samaritan, um, when the certain Samaritan arrived, he looked upon this man who was beaten, half, left half dead, robbed from everything by these thieves. And when he saw him, he was moved with compassion. I believe the spirit of the Lord was more more alive in the Samaritan than he was in the religious leaders, the priest and the Levite. I want you to know this. Ready? You should write this down in your notes. It's not one of my points, but it's a good point. A title, a title, a title does not mean the spirit of the Lord lives inside of you. Any man can be given a title, but no title can really make any man any good. Notice the title, priest. Notice the title, Levite. Notice these are religious leaders, which we'll get into. They come, they saw what happened, and they walked to the other side. Notice the titles of religion, um, um, leadership here, people of high authority, people that would be respected and honored. These are individuals who men would sit at their feet, children would sit at their feet and learn from their words. And yet they saw the man in need And when they saw the man in need, they crossed to the other side. And then comes a Samaritan. What a title. Not a Levite, not a priest, not a man who studied in the seminary, not someone who got all this knowledge of stuff. He was just a certain Samaritan. (laughs) You see the words there? There's a priest and there's a Levite, but then there's a certain Samaritan. My goodness, you couldn't even give the Samaritan a name. A certain Samaritan. He comes by. But what's different with the Samaritan that the priest didn't have and the Levite had was this. You see, they had the understanding and the knowledge of how to operate in knowledge. But this man had something living inside of him that caused him to operate from something called compassion. You see, the Levite and the priest would have stood up on that side of the road and said, let me give you three points of why you're left here half dead and why you're left here stranded. 
and they would have not have showed compassion, but they would have given a nice theological, radical discussion of why that man was destroyed. Dang, those religious people. But now the, 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 the certain Samaritan, he says, forget my theological discourse. All I know is that I'm moved with compassion. So the one thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to serve the one in need. So the certain Samaritan, he, as he journeyed, he came where he was and he saw him. He had compassion and he went to him. How many of us live for people to come to you? <laughs> well, they need to just come to me. Well, the, the certain Samaritan went to him. <laughs> he made it part of who he was. I'm going to go out of my way. The other two religious theological figures, they went to the other side of the street. So, so that if someone were to question, oh, yeah, I thought I saw someone. I really, you know, justify their actions from going to the other side of the street. But this certain Samaritan, he didn't wait for anything. He said, I'm going to run to the need. You know, many times we, we point the finger at the need and we complain about the need and we talk bad about the people that are not filling the need. When you recognize there's a need, maybe it's because God is calling you to run to the need so that you could fill the need and meet the need and that that need can be addressed and begin to live. If there's a need and you recognize it, have compassion for it. Well, I'm waiting for brother and sister and that group over there. No, if you saw it, maybe God's giving you that need. To what? To bandage it. To care for it. To put it on your donkey. To take it to the inn. And to pay for the cost of it. There is a price to pay. There is a cost for anything that the Lord calls us into. Yes, he's given us salvation, freedom, freedom of salvation. But he paid for it. It wasn't necessarily free. And in the freedom of that salvation, there's still a price to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, here I am, one who moves with compassion. What do you do by saying, yes, Lord? You know the sacrifice and the surrender to get off your horse and to begin to serve the need? I'm talking about loving neighbor. Not picking on anyone here. I'm just talking about what a loving neighbor is. A loving neighbor. Loving neighbor. It says on the next day when he departed. Well, let's go to verse 34. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal. He brought him into an inn and he took care of him. 35. On the next day when he departed, he took out two denarii. He gave them to the innkeeper and he said to the innkeeper, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, when I come again, I'm going to repay you. So which of these do you think was neighbor to him, who was neighbor to him, was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And this man that Jesus is speaking to, which we'll get to him now, he says, it's he who showed mercy on him. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Do the same. Amen? You guys received something already? Loving neighbor. See, if we've heard this story of verses 30 to 37, the story of the Good Samaritan. Amen. We've heard it. But you see, we have to understand the context around the teaching of these verses. Why would Jesus use these verses to teach on? What I mean is, 
these questions right here. Why was it taught and who was it being taught to? Is very important today. Because so much of Jesus' teachings, you heard me say this, would come from questions of others. Have you ever studied the New Testament? Have you ever studied the Gospels? Have you ever recognized that his teachings came from a question? Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There's always a question, and Jesus is like awesome. And many times he will start his teaching with, well, let me ask you a question. Sometimes the greatest advice that you could give to the question that's being asked is to reply back with a question. <laughs> Why? Because sometimes people just have to pause and think and self-evaluate and recognize, wait a minute, what is the answer to that question? Jesus was a master of this, and, and most of these teachings would come from such a place. I, I love that we see Jesus, and, 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 and in his life, he never forces himself on others. Do you force yourself on others? If you do, you know that people don't like that, right? Just making sure you know that if you force yourself on others, a lot of people don't like that stuff. There might be some people that like it and figure out who they are and just force yourself on them if you want to. But Jesus is not forcing salvation. I, I'm a father. And, he, okay, I'll, I'm going to be honest. One of the things that, that is my pet peeve is like I have to see my children eat. Am I, am I the only weird one like that? Like, I hate when I serve them food, and then, ah, oh, I'm full. And I'm like, what? Eat all the meat. <laughs> and when the plate is empty, as a dad, it does something. Mi hijo comió. Comió bien, he ate good. Do I have any other parent that's like that? Or am I, okay, good. Because maybe I needed some treatment or something like that, and I'm good. Go. I, I could, I could, um. Take a, your advice and counsel. I'm good with that stuff. Don't worry about it. But I like, like it bothers me. What do you mean? You took a bite of the hot dog. Eat the whole hot dog. Or, 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 or they leave the meat or they leave the dog and they ate the chips. You ate what's bad. Eat what's good. I mean, I know. I know for other nutritionists, I know the hot dog is not necessarily, should be considered good. I know where they make it from. But you know what I mean. I do the turkey ones, so it's a little bit healthier. But I don't force I, I, I force my child to eat, right? And I force things. And, and yeah, there's certain things that, of course, I don't force upon them. But we look at the life of Jesus, and never does he force food down people's mouth. Like I do. He, he doesn't force his even, have you noticed this? That he doesn't even force his theology. He doesn't even force his teachings. As a matter of fact, crowds are running to him. Show me a sign. Show me a miracle. And he's like, you come to me. Like, any, anyone else in their flesh would have been like, all right, you guys are back? You want more? Watch this. But Jesus is like, no, I'm going to go to the other side of the sea. You want, like, he's just this dynamics of how he, his leadership was so rare and yet so contagious. People ran to him. He never forced himself on others. But, but what Jesus was a master of is he found open doors. I mean that. Study his life. He would look at when the open doors opened, and, and when they would open, we would grab, we'd talk about these open doors, they're known as opportunities. He would take these opportunities, and he would walk into the opportunities when they were given. Yes or no? For a perfect example, follow me for a moment. He's on a little mountain, and he looks down to the valley, and he looks, and there are thousands among thousands among thousands of people who have been following him from the day before, and they're in the hot sun, and guess what they are? 
they're very hungry. And when you're very hungry, you get very angry. And he recognized, if I don't feed these people, there's going to be some problems, some rioting going down. You think like Jesus, because yes, it says that he looked at them and they were like a sheep led to the straight, a sheep without a shepherd, right? But I also think he recognized that these people are hungry and they're going to cause a war down there. So I better feed their hunger. And he grabs them all. He tells them to sit in groups. And he's like, what do we got? And what do the disciples run to? We don't got jack. We don't got no money left. We don't got food left. Nothing. And one disciple says, but wait a minute. There's that young boy. And he's got five loaves of bread and he's got two fish. And Jesus says, bring it to me. Now, how rare is that? How weird is that? You and I would be there and be like, he's lost his mind. Five loaves of bread and two fish is just about enough for me. Not for thousands of people. I'm so hungry, I'll eat those two fish and I'll eat those five loaves of bread. Because those five loaves of bread were like cracker wafers. They didn't even have the yeast inside of it. So they weren't going to fill nobody up. I'm talking about five flatbreads. Five flatbreads and two fish. All right? And this fish was not a dolphin. And it wasn't a bluefin tuna. It was a fish from the Sea of Galilee that if you went to Israel, you probably ate the same fish. You could eat two of those very easy. Kind of like a tilapia. That's what it was. It was a tilapia. <laughs> right off the bat, right now, you said, I'll eat 10 tilapias. Now, this is important. Why? Because the boy comes with the five loaves of bread, crackers, and two tilapias. And what happens here is what? He says, perfect. See, all I need is an opportunity. <laughs> all I need is an opportunity, and the need will be met. I just need an opportunity to arrive. You see, the person who's not moved with compassion would have stood back and complained that they only had five loaves of bread and two fish. And all they would have done was recognize how this is not possible to do it. But the one who is moved with compassion says, if there's an opportunity and there's a people, he's going to make a way and we're going to do whatever we can to meet the need. And I believe that Jesus' life was constantly to step forward in compassion to meet the need of others. And when he was living his life as a sacrificial lamb that he was to meet the need of others, the father would always provide on the action of meeting the needs that the son had compassion upon. So maybe you don't have the certificate on your wall that tells you that you have some sort of authority to meet some sort of need. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the heck with the certificate on your wall that supposedly gives you an authority to fit a specific need. And I'm telling you, if the Spirit of the Lord lives inside of you, He's giving you a compassion, operate the faith to activate and to live out the need of someone else. And you'll see how Abba will provide because that person in need means a lot to Him as well. So he might make your five loaves and two fish, your five crackers and your two tilapias. It might, just not, it might not just to be you feed your 12 family members, Jesus, but it's going to feed the multitude of people who you have compassion for. How about if we begin to take step forwards in the needs? Maybe he starts to take step forwards in the miracle. I don't believe in signs, wonders, and miracles anymore. It's probably because you stop serving people's needs. The people that say, I don't believe in miracles no more, start serving people's needs and you might see things get healed. And you might see fish multiply. And you might see prison doors open. And maybe the ones that are so theological in the sense of, I don't believe in signs, wonders, and miracle, and the movement of the prophetic. Well, I'm telling you, it's because you haven't ran to the need and seen how God provides. And then you walk out of there with the banner and say, I saw a sign. I saw a wonder. I saw a miracle. My God 
is alive to meet the needs of his people. I believe that. So what, what happens here in Luke 10? A certain lawyer comes up to Jesus. So sorry, I went totally off my notes. A certain lawyer comes up to Jesus. And it says that the lawyer stood up to test him. I'm sure that this man didn't know that Jesus had never failed a test before. He's pretty good at tests. So he asked Jesus, he says, teacher, here it is, guys. Here's the question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? I wonder if there's anyone in here that you've done so wrong, you've done so bad, you feel so lost. And the question is, what do I do? so that I could be found? What do I do so that I could have life eternal? So Jesus says to him, well, what is, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? Did you guys catch that? The man comes up to Jesus and says, what do I do to inherit? And Jesus says, you're the religious person. Religious person? What does it say? That, that's just Jesus' method. He's, he's just funky like that. You know, he's, he's, like, he's like, wait a minute. Did you just ask me a question? You just asked me a question. Did she? Peter's like, yeah, he did. And John's like, he did. He's like, I thought so. So, so you, you asked me, how do you inherit? You have a question for me. So I have a question for you, religious leader. You ask me, how do I get up there and how do I receive life? Well, I ask you a question. You're the master. You're the theological wizard. You got all the doctrines down packed. You know the Mosaic law like there is no other. You actually memorized it. You went to school and you learned it. You interpret it, you, you rewrite it. You're like a, you're a lawyer, you're a scholar in this stuff. He says, so why don't you tell me? I'm not picking on you, I'm just using you as an example. <laughs> She's like, I'm never coming back. <laughs> I'm never coming back. I'm like, no, come back. <laughs> you tell me what it says. Go ahead, pretend you're him. Now, can you imagine that for a moment? Did you hear what she just said? You must love the Lord with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your heart, right? And you must love your neighbor as your... Now, can you imagine being Jesus? <laughs> you ask me, but now I ask you, what is your understanding? Do you know that he didn't open it up at that time? He knew it by memory. So when Jesus asked him, what's your reading of it? He's like, I know it because I'm, I'm a lawyer. I know the Mosaic law. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. And can you imagine being so cocky and so arrogant to answer that? And you're speaking to the very one that it's speaking about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. 
you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. He's like, yeah, 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 tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. Because standing before you is the one that that scripture is speaking about. You must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul. And in response, you must love your neighbor as yourself. Come on, tell me more. Religious leader got schooled by the grand teacher, obviously, by the greatest rabbi. Just imagine that. Because if I was a disciple, I'd be like, if I was Peter, I'd be like, If I was John, I'd be like, and Jesus sits there and says, you ask me, how do you? But you're the one that has all the knowledge. Why don't you tell me? And what does he do? He tells him. But can you imagine? Oh, man. Can you imagine that the man standing before Jesus knows so much? But what Jesus was trying to really show him was, you actually know so little. You th- be careful with people that always call themselves scholars. Be careful with people that always make themselves to be something they're not. Jesus, was, what was he doing to this lawyer? What was he doing to this theologian? What was he doing to this religious leader? You know so much in your mind, but you know so little in your heart. What he was trying to teach this man was, you actually know less than what you think you know. You quoted the scripture properly, but your life hasn't given evidence of that which you just said to me. How many of you have um, been confronted with a religion that knows very well? but has not shown very well. We all have. We've been there. So Jesus is saying, you actually know little than you think. It's such a powerful moment. So he answered and says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all of your mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 28, and Jesus says to him, you have answered right. If Jesus had a bell, he rang it. Ding, 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 ding. And then you know what he tells him next? I'm going to prove my point. I'm going to prove my point. He says this. Do this and what? Come on, guys, I'm being very honest here. Do this and what? What do you think was really happening here? The man was what? Learning it, but he wasn't what? Doing it. So do you think that Jesus was really impacting something inside this man? I think so. I see what you just said. I heard what you just said. What you just said was right. But the problem is, ready? Do this and live. What is he really saying? You fail in doing what you're saying. I, you know, the Bible doesn't follow the guy. <laughs> it has a way of not doing that sometimes. But what, what happened to this religious leader, this lawyer? 
This, he says, if you do this, you will live. Verse 29. Let's wrap this section up. But he, wanting to justify, said to Jesus. Like, like seriously, before I read this, the man could have easily said, I should just shut up right now. I should just go home. I should shut up right now. Because my God, do I feel convicted right now. The guy, guy should have just shut up. But now he asks another question. And I can't just imagine Jesus. Like, come on. Like, I think Jesus was actually fun to be with. I do think so. I'll prove it to you. I don't think Jesus, like, these people that are in the faith and they get so serious that no one could approach them. I think they just went overboard. I think they've lost it a little bit. I think they've lost a couple of screws. But I think Jesus is cool because one day the people are freaked out and they're scared. And he's like, watch this. I'm going to walk on water. And they're going to think I'm a ghost. That was fun. Like Jesus had fun. Like, like have you ever thought about that in that passage? They're all sleeping. He's like, watch this. I'm going to cause the boat to sink. And I'm going to stay sleeping. And he's sleeping. And he's, I think he's snoring. And they're, Jesus, do you not even care? We're going to die. And he's like, oh, where did all this water come from? We're drowning. He's like, I think he smiled. I think he had fun as he taught his lessons. And he says, wind, waves, be still. And he looked and says, saw that? Now, clean up the water. I'm going to go back to bed. You know, when they're terrified because another storm comes, and he's like, watch this. They're looking for him in the boat. He's nowhere in the boat, and he's nowhere in the boat. I think he kind of planned it. If not, he's not a, um, he's not a, omniscient then. I think he's omniscient, and I think he understood what was happening. I think he planned it. He's like, they're going to get freaked out right about now. The storm's hitting hard. All right, it's time. And he starts to walk on water. And as he starts to walk on water, Peter's like, it's a ghost. It is a ghost. And Jesus is like, yeah. <laughs> and then Peter's like, like, I think it was fun to be with Jesus. Peter's like, come on, Lord. I dare you to tell me to come to you. It was like little kids, man. And Jesus was like training his little followers. Like, I'm going to teach you how to walk on water. Come on, I, I dare you. Do you know that's biblical, right? He tells them, call me to come to you. Call me to come to you. And, and, and what does the Lord do? Do you know how fun Jesus was? He didn't say, Peter, stay. I would have told my son, stay on the boat just in case it didn't work for you so you don't drown. I would have told my son that, especially when the waves were coming. But Jesus is fun. He says, Peter, come. And what does Peter do? He starts walking on water. We bash Peter all the time. He's the only man other than Jesus in the Bible that walks on water. I think Peter turned around and looked at the other suckers, the other 11. It's like, I'm doing it. I'm walking. Like, that must have been a scene. And when he started to boast in himself, I'm doing it. I'm his favorite, I believe. That's when he began to sink. And the Lord's like, ah, you shouldn't have done that. You should have kept your eyes on me. There's a great lesson here. Ready? Keep your eyes on me. And he thought about faith. I think Jesus is God. His de- theological here. His deity. I believe he's God. But I also believe he was a fun human being. 
When the, relig when the religious disciples said, keep the kids away from him. Remember that two weeks ago? Jesus says, nah, let them jump on me and pull my hair and pull my beard. Jesus was unique. Unique. Different. Different. Compassionate. Loving. You've ever met a Christian that you really want to be around? Who said me? I'm not going to say nothing to you because I'm, I'm still getting to know you and I want you to stay here. But normally the one that says me, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> normally the one that says me is the one that knows. No, I'm just <laughs> But you ever been, I'll come over here so I can just show some love to his family. But you've ever been around a Christian and you're like, man, they're just content. I just like to be with them. And then you've been around the others. They're like, uh, it's like sour. It's bitter. It's one of my, it's one of one of, it's what one of my favorite preachers says. It's like vomiting in your mouth. One of my favorite preachers says that. it's like vomiting in your mouth, and like you vomit in your mouth. Oh, I, love, I know they love God. They mean good, but I don't think Jesus was. Oh. When the religious leaders, I, I know I'm wrapping this up because if I were to show you my notes. Nothing that I have said is on my notes today. <laughs> so next week I'll keep teaching on this passage. I told you it's going to take weeks, but on the words I sing. <laughs> yeah. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> but I think Jesus had a had a way of doing this stuff. You know? Okay, I know what I was going to say. When the religious leaders from the temple, when I say religious leaders, I, 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 I want to be very careful with that because I know we could use that phrase very openly and then begin to bash people that you're not called to bash. I'm talking about in this specific world and context of scripture, I'm talking about Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, the people that were so caught up in the religious law of the Old Testament and they failed to see that the law had become flesh right before them. I'm talking about these specific religious leaders today. Do you guys get what I'm trying to say? But you will never hear me come up here and bash one of your favorite televangelists or television preachers because I don't feel like that's my role right now. But these are specific people in Jesus' culture, in Jesus' time. And they tell him, go get them, arrest them, catch them. Just like this man was going to do. It says, he asked them a question to test him. Did you see that? There was not, and I'll teach you next week why that was, where that came from. So these men would come up to Jesus, and did you remember that? So I preached it here so many times. They run back to these leaders, and they run <laughs> back empty-handed. And they're like, where is he? And they're like, we've never seen anyone do what he does, speak as he speaks, live as he lives. We didn't even tear, dare place a finger on him to the point that they became indignant. And they said, you too became one of his followers? He's like, I don't know what we became, but the man is cool. The man is different. He's not like you all. He's a different kind of rabbi. All right, loving neighbor. And we'll continue on this. I'm not in a hurry. I, if God has me here on earth still next week, I'll continue to preach this. But I believe that a loving neighbor has to do a lot with this. Do you have the character of Christ? Is the person of Christ living inside of you? 
I don't think you're called to draw people away. I think what you have is so contagious, it can't but draw people in. Now, there's going to be moments where you'll be rejected. A lot of your life, people will offend you and reject you because you hold something that is true. But, for the pe- but as you're being afflicted and as you're being threatened, check this out. And as you're being rejected, there is also another crowd that has ears to hear and that is receiving and that is growing and that is multiplying because of that which is alive in you. He's killing off the ones that are not fruitful, but he's making alive the ones that are fruitful. It's always the part of a true disciple. It always is. Loving neighbor. Do you go to the other side or do you see the need and do you say, I'm going to go and find that need so that I can meet that need? Uh, Let's use the proper steps. I'm going to find the need so that I can fill the need in order to meet the need and run to the need and be like Jesus in the midst of the need. You don't got to be weird about it. You don't got to be strange about it. Just have compassion and let the heart of Christ pour out from you in the midst of the need, in the midst of someone else's need, and watch God do the miracle. Be a loving neighbor. How many of you could say amen? Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise. I think we're done. Um, you guys, do you feel like you're, you're in family today? I do. So I do this stuff. Ready? Just show you a little bit of how my notes look. This is what I've supposedly preached. There are two passages. But here's the rest of my notes that I haven't gotten into. Ready? I promise you, if you come next Sunday, I'm going to try to get to all these right here. <laughs> Oh, man. But, um, but um, I feel like God took this a route that he wanted to take it today. And I want to be sensitive to that while yet sticking to loving neighbor. Um, as we get ready to stand and examine our hearts, our lives, I want you to really search within. And I want you to think about this. Am I a loving neighbor? You know, it's very easy. It's very easy to love the person that loves you. Did you hear that? It's very easy to love the person that loves you. But it's very hard to love the person that you can't even, I I really need you to pay attention to this because I feel like God's going to speak to someone, some ones in this room. It's very easy to love someone that loves you, but it could be very difficult to love someone that you can't even look at their eyes. And I think that God's going to challenge your heart by causing you to have a situation. (laughs) How does God deal with you? Through experiences? Encounters? Good moments and the bad. With people. It's very easy to look in the eyes of the ones whose eyes show hearts for you. But how about the one that, that it's hard to serve them? You disagree with their lifestyle. 
Christians have done very good to neglect the people that they disagree with their lifestyle. I'm not trying to say that you tell them that you're in agreement with their certain lifestyle, but that should not disqualify you from loving them in the midst of their lifestyle. Because maybe by your love, they will come to know Christ. I'm talking about, you know what I'm saying? The woman that was caught in adultery, the, the, the people that were to love were going to stone. And he was teaching what true love was. No, there's freedom. He showed her a love that, again, the Bible doesn't follow her story, but I wonder if her life was transformed forever. I know through historical books, the woman at the well of Samaritan, uh, the, the, Samaritan, the Samaritan woman at the well, there are historical books written about this woman that took the gospel from an encounter with Jesus, that took it back to Samaria and changed that region of Samaria and changed it with the leadership, the men of the leaders of that town. I believe that that's the Samaritan woman at the well. There are historical books written about a woman. So I know that her story was in, was transformed forever but Jesus could have said ah you're a Samaritan you suck we don't like you go your way but nah he loved even on the ones whose lifestyle he didn't necessarily agree on it doesn't mean he accepted everyone but he wants to love everyone so they could be transformed so that way he could receive everyone into them Jesus accepts you all for who you are but that doesn't mean that there's not a transformation in that that brings forth his receiving you. He wants to draw you all in. He wants to draw them all in with his love. And if it's his true love, to many of those, it will bring forth transformation, transformation so he could receive them into eternity. Don't be so quick to put up a sign and say that God hates certain groups of people because God is so opposite of that. God loves them. And he wants to transform them. I'm talking about the murderer. I'm talking about the drug addict. The sexually perverse. From the greatest of sin in your mind to the lowest of sin in your mind. He loves them and he wants to transform them with his love. So he's sitting on his throne. And we're waiting for his coming. But wait a minute, is his coming here? You are his coming on earth. Stop living for his second coming and become his second coming in someone's life. Become his second coming. Jesus is, maybe you don't see him physically, but he's here with us in this living room. He's here with us in the middle of this street. He's here with us in the midst of this prison. He's here with us in the middle of this rally. Be his second coming to someone else. Be a loving neighbor, neighbor moved with compassion. And let it transform people's lives. We're going to continue on this. I hope you will be patient as we travel down this road of a loving neighbor. Amen. Can you stand with me? Lord, I know you've spoken to our hearts today. I know you're challenging many of us in our different ways of living, what you're calling us into and what you're calling us for. I know that across this room, there is no one that is perfect. But yet, if we're in Christ, each one of us is being perfected. And I know that in the process of sanctification, in this journey of perfection, 
There are ups and downs. There are failures and there are successes. And Lord, I pray that that in it all that you would move us with greater compassion. Lord, those three things would be so important to us that we would find the need, that we would fill the need. And in that way, we would meet the need. The need would be met. There is a widow who is hurting and she needs love. There is an addict who's addicted and they need accountability. There is a one who is alone and he needs a hug. There is one who is crying and they need laughter. There's one who is drowning and they need a lifesaver. Allow us to be the second coming for someone. Let us not be so caught up with our own ways that we go to the other side after seeing what the need is. But Lord, let us run to it. Let us fill it. And let those needs be met like the day that thousands were met with just five loaves and two fish. Lord, maybe you will do greater miracles in our time if we would step up to reach the greater needs of our time. How come I don't see God do signs? How come I don't see God do the miracles of the old? And maybe if we listen closely to the still whisper of God's voice, he's saying, because I'm calling you to take steps into the need and I will provide the miracle that is needed for it. Let us be loving neighbors. As we learn in the weeks to come what a, true, what a neighbor is, let this continue to grow in us, transform us, do a mighty work. Come on, I want everyone here with every eye closed, if that's you today, and I'm not going to necessarily do an altar call because I really do fear, feel like we should all be up on the altar and say, I need to be a better loving neighbor. Even if you're doing a great job, there's so much greater, so much more to do. But if you know God is speaking to you, if I took out a gun and I said, freeze, your hands go up. And you're showing, okay, I'm surrendered. And maybe the word of God is the gun today and he just told you, freeze. And maybe he wants to see your response. And if you know God is speaking to you, to calling you to be that loving neighbor, I want you right now for a minute, maybe the worship team will sing a song over us and we'll close off in prayer real quick. But I want you to lift up your hands as a sign of surrender and say, oh, here I am, I'm surrendered. Lord, my hands are raised, I surrender. And as your hands are raised and your heart is surrendered to him with your hands raised, I want you to open up your mouth. You see those lips that, that you have there? You see that tongue? Begin to speak to your God. And begin to tell him, Lord, make me a loving neighbor. Give me more compassion. And be careful when you pray those things because he's going to say, cool, I'm going to give you an experience and an encounter today with someone that's going to cause you to really examine yourself so that you could grow to become a better loving neighbor. You might fail in it, but it's going to cause you now to come back to that person and say, hey, there's something that was wrong and I got to make right. Please forgive me. And you're going to have to learn to say, not only do I forgive you, but I'm going to show you great degrees of love. Amen. That stuff is erased as bad as it was. And we're going to walk together again. And we're going to love. Come on, man. Begin to release that to the Lord, church. And begin to, the, begin to allow the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to allow the loving neighbor to arise in you. Let's sing a song. Let your words be heard. And let this minute or so be a meditation and a declaration before your God 
of a great transformation within you. So go ahead, we open up this altar. The altar of your, our hearts to you, Lord. Receive us in your presence. Beloved, begin to release that sound to your king. Come on.